Let's keep going today with our Kingdom Now series. If you're a guest, maybe today's your first time here, or maybe you're watching uh, and checking Clearview out. Uh, We're looking at the Jesus statements. Jesus made a lot of statements that the Kingdom of Heaven is like, or the Kingdom of God is like, and he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about now. He's talking about the here and the now. So uh, the, the glory about being in Jesus is you don't have to wait to heaven to experience Jesus. Amen? You can experience Jesus now. And so, so that's what we're doing. We're talking about that this morning. And this morning, I want to walk you through a very, a very important uh, passage on what we talked about last week with the, the wheat and the, the weeds. You know, we are, we are commanded in Scripture uh, not, not to hate But I I want you to know there is one individual that I do hate. I I have no remorse. I have no guilt. I have no reason to not want to hate the devil. I have no reason not to want to hate the devil because there's nothing redemptive in the devil. There's nothing redemptive in what he does. And I can promise you that all of us, all the men and women that serve this church... We see what the enemy does on a weekly basis. We watch what he does to you, to your marriage, to your kids. We watch what he does to our church. We watch what he does to our fellowship. We see the brokenness. We see that what the enemy seeks to do, and it is real. And today I want to talk to you about the nature of my enemy. That's, that's, that's you the nature of your enemy. Today we're talking about that. I made it personal for you. The nature of my enemy. You have an enemy. And I want to talk to you. Last week we talked about the nature of God and his sovereignty. In this parable on the, the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares in, in Matthew chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13. There's, there's basically three, three players in this in this story. There's a few more, but these are the main ones. The, the farmer is representing God, and the, the farm hands, that's you and me, and, and Satan is our enemy. And so today, I want to talk to you about what can we learn. What, what is it that we can actually learn about the nature of who the enemy is? So Jesus is giving a, a lot of illustrations right now about sowing and harvesting. And so he talks about something that the enemy did. So here we go. Matthew 13, verse 24. says, Jesus presented another parable. Jesus often taught in parables. and He, he, he taught in illustrations. And, and he said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So he was the owner. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and, and he sowed weeds or, or, or tares among the wheat, and, it, and then he went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, the tares became evident also. See, that, that took a while. So but when, they, when, they, when they began to sprout, they knew something was wrong. And so the slaves of the landowner came, and they said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy's done this. And the slave said, well, do you want us then to, to, to go and gather them up? And he said, no. For while you're gathering up the weeds or the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. 
So allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather up the tares and bind them into bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. So if you missed last week, I, I talked about what, what is the nature of God and, and how does he work and how does he operate. And today, I want to talk about the nature of the enemy. And based on this passage, what is it that we can learn about the enemy we face? Because I want to tell you something, friends. If, you, if, you, if you're going to plan on winning, you listening to me? If you're going to plan on winning in the physical, you better learn to fight in the spiritual. You hear me? If you're going to win in the, the, the physical, you better learn to do your fighting in the spiritual. And if you're going to do your fighting in the spiritual, you better know the enemy you're facing. Right? You better know who he is. One of the, there's a lot here, actually. And I'm going to just walk you through a couple of quick character traits. Let's call them that. If this was a resume of the enemy, the devil, here's a few of his character traits. First of all, I would say to you, I have an enemy that is proactive. Did you, did you see that in the story? I have an enemy that is proactive. Notice what he did. He went when everyone was asleep and he sowed seed. Why? Why is your enemy proactive? He is not reactive. He is proactive. Oh, he may react, but he is a proactive enemy. You know why he's proactive? Because his time is limited. Do you understand that? His time is limited. If there's one thing this story teaches us, it teaches us that judgment is coming. Judgment's coming. So, he, so you, you can rest assured, there's going to come a day when God's going to make everything right. Aren't you glad? Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. That's going to be a great day. And it's also going to be an awful day. Great for those in Christ unbelievably tormenting for those that aren't. But that day has not come yet. And so until that day comes, you have an enemy that is proactive. He is, he is proactive. Notice that he sowed in, in, and he, he, he did it and he got on it. And he, and he did it actually, if you look at, at how, he, how he worked all this together. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But, but I want you to look at what, what John says about this enemy. John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I, I, I've studied that passage off and on in my life. I've sat on that passage and, and, and really dug it apart for years. And, and, and it didn't come. I've told you many times, if, if you'll stay on a passage, if you'll kind of sit on a passage, sometimes it takes months for things to elevate to the surface. And, and months into that study, for whatever reason, it, it hit me, that little word only. He's got one agenda, one purpose. But notice it says the, the thief comes, whether you want him to or not. Whether you want the thief to come into your family, whether you want him to come into your mind to distort the truth, whether you want him to come into your ears about what you hear and what you choose to believe, what, whatever it might be, you need to understand that there is a proactive enemy that you have. And so the enemy is proactive, and you see that he sowed because his time is limited. But that's not all he does. I have an enemy that's not only proactive, I have an enemy that is sneaky. I have an enemy that is sneaky. Did you notice that he, that he sowed in the dark? 
It said, while the farmhands were sleeping. Now, some historians say, yeah, they weren't on their guard. Uh, no, that's not true. They're asleep because that's what people do at night. Most people, except unless they work third shift. But you got to sleep, right? Now, they were just sleeping. And this proactive enemy did what he always does. He sowed and he creates sabotage in the dark. In the dark. That's why I'm such a believer on putting things in the light. Bring it in the light. If you lead a team, if, if, if in your family, in your own mind, if something's happening to you, bring it in the light. Bring it in. You know why? Because the enemy can't lie to it in the, in the, in the light, but he can lie to it in the dark. In fact, I want to say this to you, too. This is where I'm telling you as a, as a pastor, I can tell you, Watching human nature, nine times out of ten, maybe almost nine and a half times out of ten, the average person keeps whatever it is that's coming to them, they keep it in the dark. Whether it's a sin or something happening to them or something they did five years ago or something they're ashamed of, See, we have a tendency to want to bury those things. And I'm telling you, friend, that is the worst thing you can do. Oh, you may not have to expose them to the whole world, but you need to bring them in the light. To people that will love you enough to tell you the truth, you better bring them in the light. Because when you bring them in the light, nobody can lie. No enemy can lie. No deceitful thoughts can come. Bring it in the light. So what he did is he's a sneaky enemy, and he, and he, does, and he does what he does on purpose, and he does it in the dark. The, it's about sabotage. And no, no person in sabotage does things in the open. They always do it clandestinely, and he's a sneaky enemy. But I'll tell you something else about the nature of your enemy. Not only is he sneaky, he intends to do harm. Don't, don't ever misunderstand that. I have an enemy that intends to do harm. Harm. That's what he was getting at. Why? Why does he intend to do harm? I'll tell you. Because he's playing to win. He's playing to win. I, I, I am forever bothered, truthfully. I am forever bothered by how so many Christians tend to be naive about their enemy. Seeing, seeing things as, oh, that's just, a, that's just a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Oh, no, it's not that big of a deal. You need to understand that you have an enemy that intends to do harm. Because he's playing to win. Did you notice in the story that the first thing that happened, now, now catch this, did you notice the first thing that happened in the story? What did the hired hands do? What did they say? There was doubt, confusion. There was disruption. That's what the enemy does. Doubt. All of a sudden, they're doubting him. Hey, do, do, do you not know what you're doing? I thought you, I thought you were the farmer. Do you not know enough to get good seed? How do you think he felt in that moment? 
No, I promise you. I know what I did. They're looking at him funny. See, that's what the enemy does. The enemy distorts. He confuses. He's a disruptor. And he's playing to win. He's playing to win because his time is limited. His time is very limited. There is a judgment coming. Read the story. He, he, is, he is playing to win, but there is a judgment coming. When you, when you look at what the tares were, the wheat and the weeds, the, the weeds weren't going to take over the whole crop. But there was intended damage. That's why by Roman law, if somebody messed with your fields... That was punishable under the law because you're intending to literally hurt their livelihood. You go into any farmer right now and you, you drive a vehicle through their cornfield or, or you tear up anything that they've planted. I pro- you may not think it's a big deal. I promise you, you may not think it's a big deal. That farmer is going to think it's a really big deal. And you're going to wind up with a sheriff on your doorstep. Because you're taking money out of their family. You see, he he intends to do harm when he sold what he did. Money's diverted. Every time, have have you ever seen the enemy at work in your business? You ever seen the enemy at work in your home? You ever seen the enemy at work relationally among you? Every time that happens, there is diverted energy, there's diverted time, there's diverted money. It it is a constant diversion. He's a saboteur. Saboteur, I think, would be the French name. That's what he does. You have an enemy that is proactive, he's sneaky. And he intends to do harm. Now, that's, that's who the enemy is. But who, who are we? Well, I told you in this story, we are, the, we are the, the, the farm hands. We're the ones. We are the ones. You may not really, I don't know, this may intimidate you a little bit. But don't let it intimidate you. God left it to us in the body of Christ. God left it to us to manage his kingdom. Now, he, he's let us be his hands. He's let us be his feet. He's let us be his spokespeople. We don't always do a good job of that. But it is ours to do. He, he invites us into a journey where we get to, to be the managers of the kingdom. And he, and he uses names for us. He uses names like saint. You are a saint. That means a holy one. You are a holy one of God. He uses words for you like heirs to the kingdom. He uses words for you like ransomed. He uses words for you like forgiven. He uses words for you like chosen. He, he uses all kinds of adjectives to describe us. Why? Because we're different than we used to be. In fact, Colossians tells us, Colossians 1, I love this verse. Oh, this is such a powerful verse. I hope this encourages you. Colossians 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness... And transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave us of our sins. You see, we know what the enemy's nature is, but that's our nature. That's our new nature. Just in in the next service, we're going to have a baptism. All right? And in that baptism, it is the perfect picture of what happens. Buried in the death of Christ, raised in the life of Christ. That Jesus has done something and he's transferred us from one kingdom to the other. You've been transferred. You're not the same as you used to be. You might not be who you ought to be, but you're not the same as you used to be. Amen? 
Amen. Praise God for that. Praise God that I've been transferred. I don't, you know, I, uh, I want to talk to you now as we move into uh, how do we confront this in everyday life. Um, I, I, I love coaching youth sports, and I've done it for a long time, and, and sometimes it's, it's hard to get through to five, six, seven-year-old boys, eight-year-old boys, and, and uh, try, to give them, try to give them something to understand um, the importance of, of, of staying focused, the importance of, of, um, of having discipline, you know, and right now we're in football season, and, and I tell them all the time about, uh, and, I don't, and I, 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 I don't know if it computed with them, I'm like, you know, hey, run your routes with discipline, be disciplined, and I don't think they really understood what I meant by that, and, 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 uh, and, and it came to me a few years ago, actually in baseball, and I told my boys this just, just yesterday, um, I said, fellas, understand something. When, when you do not have discipline, you play for the other team. Don't play for the other team. Every time, every time you're not focused, every time you're chatting it up, you know, I have to tell them little things like, you know, now look, look at, I get them all the time. Like, now, I want you all to turn around. You see all those guys over there? They are not your friend, okay? <laughs> now, I know you're only 10, all right? But they are not your friend. I say, now I tell them, now they're not your enemy, but they are, for the next 60 minutes, they are not your friend. All right? I mean, I try to get in their head, man. It's so much fun. All right? All right? God help me, man. I'm telling you, I, whew, mercy and grace on Jason. So, um, but don't play for the other team. So let's talk for a minute. We know what the nature of the enemy is, we know what the nature of us, of the redeemed, are. So I could probably give you 8, 10, 12, 14 ways. And they would all maybe be good and accurate and right, but we all face the enemy differently, right? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed? You, you know what I'm amazed at about the devil? Is what, what, come, what he uses to come at you might not ever work on me. And what he uses to come at me might not ever work on you. I am forever amazed at his ability to know my blind spot. I'm forever amazed at how he knows just, you know, I, I've got two boys, and uh, if there's one thing I know about both of them, I don't, know, I don't know how brothers and sisters, I didn't have either, but I've watched a lot of brothers and I've watched a lot of sisters do this, and my boys do it too. They have an innate ability to know exactly how to send each other over the moon in 0.2 seconds. I mean, they, they know right where the button is, and they go, they don't even go to button one, two, three, four, or five. They go straight to the hot button, right? You got anybody ever face that in your household? Like, I mean, they can, they can ratchet each other up in seconds and know just how to hit that one nerve, man, right? Know how to get there. I'm amazed at how the enemy does that with us. He knows exactly how to do it. So I'm going to give you one survival strategy this morning. And it kind of is the blanket. It covers all of them, right? And here it is about playing for the other team. Refuse to give the enemy an opportunity. That covers all of them. Refuse to give the enemy an opportunity. You see, Jesus died on the cross so that you don't have to give the enemy an opportunity. Aren't you glad? 
Jesus died on the cross, and he came out. In fact, he didn't just die on the cross. Baptists, we're, we're really bad in my, at least my lifetime, we're really bad about leaving Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus didn't stay on that cross. Jesus went to a grave. And Jesus didn't stay in that grave either. Jesus came out of that grave. And because he came out of that grave, it shows us that he actually does have the ability to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he didn't just come out of the grave to prove it. He also sent a Holy Spirit to empower us for living. He's a complete Savior. Amen? He's a complete Savior. So you don't have to give the enemy a, a foothold. Refuse to give him an opportunity. This is what it says in Ephesians 4. Paul was trying to encourage the church at Ephesus. And he said, do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let me tell you, did you notice, did you notice in the story... Did you happen to notice? I mean, this is, listen, I mean, this is really good what I'm about to tell y'all. I mean, this is good, good stuff. Did you notice that when the enemy chose to hit, he chose in the time of planting? I don't know if you know much about farming. I, I wouldn't expect that you would. In fact, this illustration would play way better on the Mississippi Delta than it would here. But if you've ever had a garden even, or if you've ever planted grass in your yard, but I want to tell you, if you've ever dissed up a field, you know that if you leave it alone, it won't take but days till you start seeing stuff grow. You actually open up that dirt, you make it, you give it oxygen, you turn over the moisture. You're going you're gonna to do a lot right there. And so did you notice that what the enemy did is he hit fertile soil? Don't, don't read past that. He hit fertile soil. He, know, he knew exactly when to hit him. He, he knew exactly when to hit him. This, that's why the farmer knew that an enemy's done this. You see, the enemy's watching. And I don't mean to overplay his power, but I'm telling you, he's watching. And so Paul tells us in, in Ephesians 4, do not give the devil an opportunity. He is going to attack fertile ground. And that's why I say to you, friend, listen to me. And I'm telling you, as your friend, as your brother in Christ, I'm telling you, do not be naive. Do not be naive. Do not be naive. Those things that you think aren't that bad, they're, they're intended to bring harm to your life. Those things that you think are, oh, just it's just a, a bad habit. I promise you, it's not just a bad habit. Those things, that attitude you have, that lie you believe about yourself or about somebody else, that, that thing that's happening in your household or, or that thing that's happening to one of your children. I'm telling you, don't, don't, don't give the enemy a, a foothold because I want to tell you, if you look at what the enemy did when he sowed that seed, he intended to take ground. He intended to take ground. That was his motive. 
He intended to take ground. So I would say to you, friend, in the most simple way I could when it comes to invitations, do not invite the unholy. Do not invite the unholy. Do not invite the unholy in your entertainment. Do not invite the unholy in your language. And I'm not talking about cuss words. I'm talking about don't invite the unholy with how you talk about yourself or about others. We often, oh, we, you know, we often know what it means to talk about somebody else. But I don't know that we often listen to how we talk about ourselves. The, 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 the New Testament and the Old is full of soul talk, self-talk, about how the story we believe. We talk a lot about that at Clearview. The story you choose to believe. And so I would say to you, friend, do not invite the unholy. Don't do it because I promise you, I promise you, you have an enemy that is proactive, he is sneaky, and he's intending to do harm And so that's why you see Paul tell them in in Ephesians 5, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds. Notice that word, participate of darkness. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. He is telling the church, the church is like the church at Clearview. He's telling the church at Ephesus, do not participate. Do not participate. Don't invite the unholy. And I'm telling you, it's easy to think about all the grotesque sins like pornography, addiction, pills. I'm not talking about that. Those are easy targets. Pornography, addiction, all the high-profile sins. Let me tell you what they're like. When's the last time you've been to the beach? Imagine you were standing on the beach right now. And every one of those sins that I just, all those dark areas right there, they're just about four or five grains of sand on a beach. That whole, listen, the enemy uses all kinds of things in our lives. Thoughts, attitudes, actions, dissensions, gossips, half stories, lies, error, greed, materialism. The list just goes on and on and on and on. And so we are told, do not participate in the deeds of darkness. Don't invite the unholy friend. Don't do it. Because I'm telling you, he's playing to win, man. He's playing to win. I want to show you a picture. This is a, this is a, a straight-on view of, of what happens when a seed is planted. That's a, a bean. And So start, if you start at the left on that in that little aquarium there that somebody's planted to watch germination take place. There's a couple of observations there that I want you to notice. All right? First of all, look on the far left. That's just a pod. And this, if you move one to the right, you see it starting to sprout. If you move a little further to the right, you see it sprouting and taking up a little bit of root. And all of that is happening under the soil. It's all happening underneath. So that's what happens when we invite the unholy. There's a lot happening underneath before ever what you ever see on the surface. And so then it does sprout in the middle there. But I want you to notice something. This is, this is really interesting to me. 
Look at the roots. What started as a seed became a little root that became more roots that became big roots. And I want you to look at those roots. In fact, I want you to look at the far right side of the screen, and I want you to look at the far left side of the screen from a pod to a root system. Look at how much more space is being taken up. Look at how much more space that root system has. Don't invite the unholy. Don't invite the unholy. Because I want to tell you something. I've got a lot of friends in my life that are farmers, big farmers, corporate farmers. And I'll tell you something I've learned from those men. All right? No farmer ever plants a seed without a 100% expectation of a harvest. No farmer ever plants a seed without a 100% expectation of reaping what he sowed. So you can bet when your enemy plants seeds of any kind in your life, he fully intends on a harvest. He fully intends on a harvest. And that's why we have to know the nature of our enemy. He's playing to win. He's playing to take ground. He's playing because his time is limited. He's playing because a judgment is coming. Don't fall victim to what you see here in this wheat and weeds. Don't invite the unholy into your life. I promise you he's playing to win. I promise you he's playing to do harm. I promise you. But there's a reason the scriptures tell you over and over and over and over again to be alert, be wise, be ready, be on solid footing. There's a reason he tells you all of that. So you know, when it comes to this idea of church, at Clearview, we've chosen to keep things in the light. We're not playing in terms of just having a a nice place to be nice and a good place to be good and a kind place to be kind. Right? There was a study that was done many, 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 many years ago. I heard a professor tell me about it when I was at Fuller. It's not in my notes. I just thought of it now. I'm going I'm to talk to you about it. He said there was a, a research group that was, that was asked to poll congregations across America for this one denomination and said I want you to tell I want you to come back in a year to their big assembly and tell them it wasn't Baptist life it it it, it, but it could have easily been could have easily been us And, and, and they they gave the research group a task and they said find out what's what is the DNA? What is the core of what is being preached in our pulpits across America? And so they came back a year later, and, and the entire assembly grew, and there's thousands and thousands of people in churches for across the world represented. And, and the guy gets on the stage. It's a true story. And, and, and the guy gets on the stage, and there all these ministers have been waiting for a year because they knew the study was happening. And, and he said, uh, I believe, this was the quote, I believe that I can summarize the 
preaching of our denomination in a single sentence. He said, everybody kind of set up. He said, it is this. It is good to be good, and it is kind to be kind. And he sat down. Man. It is good to be good, and it is kind to be kind. Friends, that's not a church. That's a support group. And I'm all about support. But you can't get support if you don't have the truth. You can't get support. Love. And we live in a culture now of offense. We live in a culture now of people that, that, that really want to be good and good. I'm all for goodness and I'm all for kindness. But I tell you, there's a packaging to that where we have to understand that every seed planted in our church and every seed planted in our lives and every seed planted in our minds, every seed planted in our souls, there is a sprout system intending for that to happen. And I'm telling you, you have been transferred. This is the good news. You've been transferred for the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So for you, Christian, the only... The only voice that the devil has is the voice you give him. The only voice, the only power that the devil has is the power you give him. The only power is the power you say, here, here's the keys to my life. Drive. You drive. You drive. You see, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.